My name's Jeff Pinkton. I'm the executive pastor here at Rock City Church. And I am coming up on the, towards the end of my second year in this position. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been interesting. I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of good friends, a lot of good relationships. Um, and um, I still miss the, the, the people I worked with in healthcare, but I don't miss doing healthcare. Does that make sense? Politics and all the things. So the kingdom has politics too, don't get me wrong. But it's just different. So I just wanted to um, say hi, let you know who I am, and let you know that I'm very thankful for this opportunity. Um, it's usually once or twice a year. And when Pastor David asked me, I was like, let me pray about it, because honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of nerve-wracking to get up here. I understand the weight of what it means to get up here and talk to you guys. Um, and I don't want to come up here and blow it. Thank God I have so many people that pray for me and believe in me and encourage me um, because, uh, whew, man. Um, I do want to, before I get started, say, Amy Looking Bill, are you in here? Okay. Your husband said that you're 40 today, and he wanted me to say, to announce it so that everyone would know. So happy birthday to you, Amy. Hmm. 40's the new 30. 21. All right, let's go ahead and pray so we can start. Lord, we love you. And I thank you so much for this church, for our pastors, for our leaders, our leadership team, God, all the people that are watching by live stream. I just ask that whatever we talk about today would be something that would impact their heart. And Lord, that your words would come through me and be, I would be used as your vessel today. We praise you and we honor you, Lord. And um, in Jesus' name I pray. So I wanted to start with something funny because I like funny things, and it'll help loosen you up a little bit, so when I say hard things later, you'll remember the funny things. So a couple of things. These are actual things that were written or posted or communicated from churches to their congregations. You're going to like this. First one, the senior pastor unveiled the church's new giving campaign slogan last Sunday. The title is, I upped my pledge, up yours. Next one is, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. Okay, last one is, is not, it's not church communication. It's just a joke, and I'll be done. Someone shared this with me and said I should say it today, and I, I agree. So kind of ties into what I'm going to talk about. Um, why can't Jesus wear jewelry? Because he breaks every chain. That one's for you, Jeremy. All right. Okay, here we go. So um, as I'm, as I'm uh, 
praying and preparing and asking the Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? Um, uh, spending time with them, just meditating on Jesus, meditating on Jesus. You know, there's a big difference between meditation that the world offers and meditating on Jesus, right? The world meditation, the Mideastern and the things that you do if you go deep into yoga is to clear your mind. That's the whole thing, clear your mind. What that does is open your mind, your soul up to the demonic to come in, right? But when you meditate on Jesus... You just meditate on Jesus, and you open yourself up for him to come in, right? So as I'm meditating on Jesus, what do you want to do? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I picture his face, Jesus, Jesus. I've seen him once in a vision, so I know what his face looks like, at least to me. Um, I don't get anything. I'm, I'm like, Lord, I got nothing. I go look at old messages I've written. What about these? Nothing. So the Lord gives me a title. And I've never had a title before a message, ever. First time. And um, he says to me, yes, but no. And I say, what does that mean? What does that mean, Lord? Yes, but no. So then I have to spend the next several days trying to figure out what he means. Yes, but no. So I got three main bullet points for you this morning that we're going to talk about. And hopefully it makes sense to you. And if it doesn't, I'm sorry, I'll still be here next week. <laughs> Can't do anything about it. <laughs> Number one, have you ever had an encounter where you heard the Lord say something to you about what he is going to do in your life with vision and direction for your future? Anybody in here? Okay. These can be actual rhema words that the Lord speaks to you. Words from his mouth. They can be Logos words, words you read in the Bible. They can be prophetic words, words of knowledge, but they have to be actual words from God's mouth, not a prophetic word that's far out there. Like you can grab hold of those, but you have to, a lot of those you got to get confirmation. In fact, when I left healthcare to come here, I told the Lord, I need three confirmations and I need my wife and my mom. So that was five. And the Lord's okay if you tell him that. I promise you he is. Sometimes it feels like yes, but no is what we see all around us. It feels like we never actually, it, it feels like it will never actually happen, or it may feel closer to yes, but wait. And that's okay. I did a yes, but wait for many, many years because you guys know my story. But 2014 is when the Lord appeared to me and called me into ministry. I didn't actually go into full-time ministry until 2021. So there was a lot of yes, but wait in my life. I want to show you a couple of examples from the Bible that you may already know the story, but I want, to, I want you to see them. Have you heard of a guy named Abraham? Everybody know who Abraham is? Okay, good. What did the Lord tell him was going to happen? He said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And the land he was talking about, if you don't know, I'm, I'm on a list of people that are supposed to go to Israel at the end of the year if what is happening right now doesn't stop that, right? But um, so I've really been looking at the terrain. I've looked at the geography. History and geography are my probably two favorite things. I'm looking at maps. I'm trying to figure out all these locations 
that we're going to go to, plus where they were in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament. So God says to Abram, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. I'm going to give it to your offspring. Abram, who later became Abraham, and Sarai, his wife, who later became Sarah, they, they grabbed a hold of that word, but nothing happened. In fact, they didn't have kids. They, they, 10 years into this thing, they still had no kids. And they were getting up in age. So Sarai says to Abram, um, and Abram responds like any good husband would. Um, <laughs> in uh, Genesis, I'll just read it so it doesn't seem awkward, okay? Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that she shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife, Sarai. So Abram had lived for 10 years in the land of Canaan. This is 10 years after the Lord told him that. And then um, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as her as a husband, or gave her husband as a wife, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on contempt, looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, "May the wrong that you've done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace." And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. So his wife told him to take her, take her servant as a wife, and conceive a child, and he did like a knucklehead. He was like, okay, seems right. And then afterwards, she's like, how could you do that? May, may you, like, be punished for that, right? That, it doesn't work like that in my house, though, I promise you. So here we are, um, 24 years into this thing, and um, the, the child that was conceived is Ishmael, right? And he's a teenager, and um, God comes to Abraham at this point and says, uh, as for your wife, um, we're going to change your name from Sarai to Sarah, which means mother of many nations. Change your name from Abram to Abraham, which is father of many nations. They're, um, at this point, they're close to, she's 90, he's 100, roughly maybe 89, 99. And um, Abraham uh, fell on his face. This is uh, verse 17. Genesis 17, 17, that Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. For Ishmael... I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac from whom Sarah shall bear to you next year. Isaac was born approximately 25 years after the Lord told him that. I wrote this before this stuff happened in Israel. And um, 
I don't know that I would have done it any better if I was Abraham. And in fact, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life where I've rushed God. Uh, I was married before for 10 years. It was very, very hard. I wanted to be married so bad. Now, granted, I was pretty hardcore word of faith. I was calling things into existence that were not. I bought a diamond. I bought a house, four bedrooms. And I was like, I'm going to get married and fill this thing up. And, um, and so I married the first person that I dated that said they were saved. And uh, I didn't really listen to God. I just went full blast into it. And I, I, I have two beautiful and amazing daughters as a result. And I would not change a thing if it meant not having them. So I can see where Abraham loved both of his kids, no matter who it was from. But I also know that the heartache that came from that, maybe not as much in his time, but from his ancestors until now, is hard. It's been basically 4,000 years of conflict because of that. Abraham kicked Ishmael and Hagar out. He sent them into the desert. He blessed them, gave them everything that they needed to survive. Ishmael went on to form what we know now as the Arab nations, the religion of Islam, Muslim faith. The Arab-Israeli conflict is what we are seeing play out right now in Israel. One wrong decision where a man of God thought he was doing what the Lord wanted him to do, but he didn't. It's tragic. It's terrible. Please be praying for Israel. If I'm honest, I'm not happy. I'm actually very mad. And um, I... I I've been praying that the Lord would rain down fire on all of his enemies. And maybe that's Armageddon and not yet. But uh, I, 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 who shall defy the armies of God? So forgive me if I'm a little aggressive. I don't want people to die. I want them to give their life to Jesus and be transformed. But if they're not going to do that, then they need to stop killing God's people. And I promise you, he doesn't play games. So look out. Okay, next story. This one's a little bit uh, more encouraging. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's a guy named David. He was a teenager. He was a ruddy fella. That means he had red hair. Um, I don't particularly like redheads, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Some of my best friends are redheads. Some of my best friends are redheads. <laughs> oh, so many fun experiences with my redheaded friends. Uh, the Lord loved, loves redheads, I promise you. He gave King David red hair. That means something. David was a man after God's heart. So King David was about, I don't know, 
He was a teenager when, when Samuel came and said, you're going to be the king, man. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be, you're going to be the number one guy, right? So he spent his whole life trying to figure that out. 14 to 15 years is what we know historically is how long it took from the time he was anointed till the time he became king. He, uh, uh, towards the middle to later parts of that time frame, Saul knew that he was the Lord's anointed and wanted him dead. And Saul pursued him, tried to kill him multiple times. You guys know the story. What did David do? He waited on the Lord. He prayed. He meditated. Um, there's, there's a story in 1 Samuel 24 that talks about when David and his guys were hiding in the wilderness of Ian Gedi. Now, I've been studying Ian Gedi and looking at the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, and um, the climate, the terrain, and it's a harsh environment. It's a, it's a place where many, many, many years ago, water drained in massive amounts towards the Dead Sea, which is the lowest location on the planet, and it created these things they call wadis. They're like giant drainage trenches, and they are filled with little caves and holes and caverns, and, um, and so what happened was David, for fear of being killed by Saul, ran with his group of guys and hid out in these caves. So it's been really cool checking out all of this because um, I'm looking at pictures. I, got, I mean, it's, it's pretty intense. Anyhow, Saul comes into the cave. Saul's looking for him just so happens to be in the same exact area and says he needs to go to the restroom. So Saul goes into the restroom to go to the restroom in the cave. David sees him. His guys see him. He sneaks over. He cuts off a piece of Saul's garment. And then Saul walks out. David runs to the door of the opening of the cave and says, as Saul goes down, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't because I honor you and I love you. And Saul says, man, you really are the king. You really are who God said you are. And I'm, I'm sorry. Saul has a moment of repentance. David so much loves and honors Saul that he cries and he feels bad about even touching his garment without him knowing. Here's the kicker. Saul says, Verse 19 of uh, 1 Samuel 24, verse 19, Saul says, So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be the king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to Saul. Then Saul went home to his palace. And David and his men went back up to the stronghold. He went back into the cave. So there's another opportunity where he should have said, well, wait a minute. You just said I'm going to be the king. Why am I going back in the cave? During this process of discovery, of looking at the Ian Getty and the, this area of caves and terrain, 
um, I went and read Psalm 63, which is when King David is in the cave and he's just, he's basically miserable, but he's like meditating on the Lord, right? And there's a song that Jeremy uh, Riddle sings called Psalm 63. It's about a year old. And um, if you have a chance, go read Psalm 63 and picture yourself in a cave, dry, hot, in the desert, and listen to that song and think about what would be going through your head if you were in that spot. I think what is super cool is that King David, um, there's a scripture that was that uh, I heard preached maybe 15, 20 years ago by a guy um, that I love dearly. Um, actually, first person that ever prayed for me where I got slain in the spirit. That's how much I love this guy, right? But he's talking about how David says, oh, how I love thy law. I meditate on it day and night. David only could do that because he was meditating on God's word day and night. What did the Lord want Abraham and David and me and you to do when he gave us those words for future stuff? He wanted us to wait for him, to wait upon him. Now, I, me and Jordan, Pastor Jordan and I, we get to discuss the word wait all the time. For, uh, for, for some people, wait is, is uh, do nothing. Some people, wait is do a lot. Uh, for me, it's in between, right? Um, if you go look up the word wait, which if you, if you want to, one of the most familiar locations in the Bible that talks about waiting on God is Isaiah 40, 31. And it says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. That word is kavah. It's a verb to wait upon him. It actually means wait actively with anticipation, hopefully, and watching for God to act. Those who kavah upon the Lord will renew their strength. There are other references to waiting in the Bible. Um, there is one that's called chikah. And this one is actually just, it's not a chicken making a noise. It's a word, chaka. Um, it is actually waiting, like Noah waited for the water to go down, right? That is the word, that is waiting. How do we wait on the Lord? We wait by worshiping him, serving him, pursuing him, meditating on his precepts, on his word, expecting him to show up and do what he says he would do. That's how David did it. In fact, the scripture that, um, that uh, I was quoting earlier is Psalms 119, 96 through 104. I'm not going to go read it because we're short on time this morning. But it is the, in Psalms 119, there's letters above each, pass, each grouping of passages. And this one is labeled Mem, M-E-M. And the word M-E-M, it means that it carries water. And the water is a well-known picture of God's word. So this grouping of scriptures, 96 through 104, is water. And it is basically saying how much he meditated on God's word. How much wiser it made him. How much more understanding he had because of it. 
That's what God wants for us to do as we're waiting. All right, bullet point number two. <laughs> Three-point sermon, right? Let's look at it from a different viewpoint. This one is, uh, this one's fun. Have you ever had a situation where you knew the Lord was telling you to do something? I mean, you really felt the conviction in your heart. Now, let me just say this just so you know. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is heavy, and it hurts, and it weighs you down, and it literally feels like someone has taken a 1,000 pounds of weight put it on your back, and it's smashing you against the floor. That's what condemnation feels like. If you feel that way and you think it's God, I promise you you're wrong. God is never that way. How God comes is through conviction, and conviction is light. Conviction is an outstretched hand that says, come with me. I'm guiding you. I'm leading you. Take my hand. Let me show you what to do. Conviction is never, ever, ever painful and heavy. It is laced with encouragement from God. So have you ever felt the conviction in your heart and knew that you knew that you knew that you knew that he wanted you to do it? And in your spirit, you said, yes, God. You cried all the tears, had all the good feels and bumps. But then, when it came to actually doing it with your actions, you said no. I can't tell you honestly how many times that I've done that in my life with so many different things. Soul realm, flesh realm, those two areas that I am continually being renewed and redeemed and purified in, and hopefully all of us are. I want to give you a couple of examples of my life, and then we'll um, move on to bullet point number three. So um, I know it's a Sunday morning, and there might be kids in here, so moms and dads, um, just uh, bear with me. I'll try to be sweet. Um, I grew up in a Christian home with a dad every other weekend that was not a Christian. So when I went to his house, it was on. And I had access to pornography at five years old. So it was a wait till dad leaves and check out all of his stuff kind of a thing. And um, I did that for many, many years until I became of age um, of uh, maturity, puberty, and then something comes with that as well. And um, that became an addiction for me, pornography and the other thing. I'm not going to say it out loud because there might be kids in here. And um, I struggled because when I was growing up, my parents were good, solid Christian people and taught me that's not right, right? But I still hid that. I still had that in my heart. I still did it, and I knew it was wrong. And I cannot tell you the amount of conversations I had with God 
for my teenage years until I was fully delivered in 2007 of saying, Lord, how long must I be with this? Why is this still here? Do people in their 70s do this still? I would ask those questions to God, and I would say, you know what? I'm not going to do it anymore. I repent. I'm done. And I would still fall back. I would still fall back. And um, I, uh, man, in 2007, I had an encounter with the Lord, came into my room, picked me up like a a mama dog would pick up a puppy dog and move him to safety. I felt the Lord pick me up by the scruff of my neck and say, this is not you. Get back into it. And I said, yes, sir. From that day forward, I've been clean. And it wasn't because it was a miracle right in that moment. It's because I had the courage to get back up and say yes. And I got into a group of guys. I went to a church that understood authority and power, right? Word of faith. We, we got that part. But I didn't really know the love. I went to a group of Baptist guys at Stitch Ministries. And we talked. To, it, was a, it was a group, a support group. And these guys loved on me and loved on me and loved on me. And something connected And man, I was like, I can do this. And the first thing I knew, it was six months. Then it was a year. And now I'm like 16 years later or whatever, 17 years later. Right? In the middle middle of that, in the middle of that, it felt hopeless. I was like, it doesn't, I don't know how I could not have this the rest of my life. It's, it's, It's like any other addiction. It feels like this will never leave. But I can stand up here and tell you, I am very, very, very much guarded. You can ask my wife. I'm very much guarded. But I don't have temptation to go look at pornography. I don't. And thank God for that. Love you too, man. All right, how about this one? I got, I got two more, and then I'm going to keep moving. What about our mindsets? What about when God says... Hey, you should not be insecure. You should not be afraid. You should not feel shame or dwell in shame. You should not be discouraged or frustration. Listen, frustration is huge for me. You can ask my wife. I take it personal. And I probably need to get some deliverance in this area, to be honest, because I'm like, I feel like if I ask you to do something, like, and you don't do it, then you don't value my opinion. You don't value me in our relationship. That's how I feel. And praise God, he doesn't feel that way about us. Can you imagine if he did? All right. So we're talking about flesh still. Let's talk about uh, one thing that's big for me right now that I am continually saying yes to. And um, probably my last big flesh sin struggle is uh, overeating and bad food and an unhealthy lifestyle. I'm just going to be honest with you. Probably my last big sin struggle for my flesh, right? I got free from the other things. And so uh, I can't tell you how many times I've cried out to the Lord, God, I don't want to eat because I'm uncomfortable or because I'm emotional or because I 
have pain or whatever. I don't want that. I just want to dwell on you. I want to experience you in those moments and not go eat chips because I love chips. I really do. You give me a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos and I will be at peace. I will be total peace. Yeah. Quest chips. Okay. I have to look up, look them up. <laughs> so, I, I, um, you know, I thank God I have people in my life who care about me, right? And they come to me and they say, like Pastor David one time came to me and addressed it and was like pretty straightforward with me about it. And uh, I was a little bit hurt, not going to lie, not because of, not because he meant that because when someone tells you something that's true about your sin struggle, you are easily offended. And it's easy to go, whatever, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's cool anymore. That was probably 20 years ago. And then I go home and I process what he said, right? And I weep and I cry and I, I beg God for forgiveness. And God's like, stop begging me. Just get up. And then I go, yes, I'm going to do this thing, right? I've had two uh, physicians that go here, two doctors. Both have come to me and in love told me, you got to do something. You got to set an example. Um, and uh, other people, too, that have just come to me and said, hey, you're not healthy. And um, I'm like, man, like, it's hard. It's hard. And, um, and I, I've, my whole life I have gone, like, I'll lose a bunch of weight, I'll be healthy for years, and then I just go back off the deep end again. And, and it's, if I'm being honest, it's just sin. It's not, it's not because uh, I had a health condition or I had some kind of a thyroid malfunction or it's just because I just got lazy and I went into eating bad foods, bad habits, unhealthy lifestyle, all of that. And so... Um, I am on that journey right now as we speak to try to be healthy, to try to eat right, to try to uh, take care of my temple. And um, I feel good. I mean, I've lost some weight and I got a long way to go. But thank you. I can't tell you how many times I've cried in my time with him. Like, Lord, please take this from me. I don't want it anymore. It's like, it's a similar feeling to when I had the porn problem. Honestly, you, you go eat a bunch of cake or chips or whatever, and then you're like, you feel dirty. <sighs> and listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not judging anybody or whatever. Look, please hear my heart. I, this is my battle. And, you know, as Kevin Lil says, others may, but I may not. This is one of my may nots. The Lord will, will not do it for you. That's a big point. I want you to hear this. He's not going to do it for you. He wants to do it with you. And if you just sit at home, like me, eating a bag of chips, he's going to sit next to you, and he's going to wait and he's going to wait, and he's going to wait.
it, it's uh, easy for me to get up here and um, think, man, you could really be a hypocrite right now because you could be talking about this and then six months from now, like back in the middle of it. I mean, maybe, maybe, I, don't, I hope not. I don't want to eat myself to death. Suicide by fork, as I've heard it called. I don't want that. <laughs> but you know what? I can't focus on, I can't focus on the failure. And listen, it might be something totally different for you. You might have a six-pack and pecs and all the things, but your stuff might be something different. I see my son over there flexing. Maybe your conviction from the Lord is not porn or overeating. Maybe it is obedience with your finances. Let me, let me tell you about a, a, before I keep going on that list, let me tell you about a obedience with your finances. I got a, I got a check on Wednesday night for $50,000 for the build out from a family that goes here. Now, whenever a, whenever a multimillionaire gives $50,000, we go, oh, man, that is so awesome. Praise God. That's amazing. But when a family that probably doesn't make more than $100,000 a year hands you a check for $50,000, you go, holy moly. How is that even possible? But you know what that is? That is yes. That is a yes in your heart to God. I don't think I said holy moly, but I don't want to, I don't want to. <laughs> okay, where was I? All right. Obedience with your finances. Obedience in your employment. Obedience in the direction he has given you for your business. Maybe it is procrastination, time management, control, attitudes towards people, etc. The list goes on. It's, the list is between you and the Lord. But listen, Jesus is not giving up on you. That's the good news. He loves you and he's for you and he'll help you through it. He just wants your yes. I love James. Um, I, I love that James was the brother of Jesus, but James was more of like, you need to get it done. You need to do the work. I like that guy. He was, everybody else was very, very, very soft and filled with grace, but James was like, no, get the work done. How many times have you had a yes in your heart, but your actions did not line up with your heart? Paul said it best in uh, Romans chapter 7. He says, verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, is, that is, it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Now, if you can figure out what all that said and meant, great. But what I take from it is that he had some other stuff he was struggling with too. And he was like, Lord, take this from me. But he kept saying yes. He kept saying yes. Sometimes it feels like yes in our hearts, but then it just feels too hard when we actually start it, right? Remember the, the word I taught you earlier, kava? Not chika, kava. That means anticipation, expectation. I would like to propose that the Lord himself kava for us, that the Lord waits with anxious anticipation for us, that he's looking at us going, come on, man, this is it. This is the day. This is the one. Just say yes. You know, it, um, it happens. Uh, we do it with our kids a lot, right? You can think of a time where they responded well or did something and you were like, man, I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them. What all the things I've taught them, they've learned something and they're doing it, right? Unless you have teenagers and it might be hard to come up with an example right now. <laughs> but keep praying, keep teaching, keep... I'm just kidding. Serious. I personally wish I could be more like Jesus in these situations because I get disappointed and frustrated with people. And I have to remind myself that he's not disappointed and frustrated with me. Right. That he looks at me and says, dude, I love you. You're my son. Come on, get back up. All right, last point, and then we'll wrap up. What if, or maybe better said, most of the time, the Lord is waiting on us to be obedient with what he told us to do previously in order for the things in bullet point number one to come to pass. James said, faith without works is dead. What if the Lord needs to build our character before we can be trusted with the responsibility and anointing that he put into us? It requires action on our part, not just sitting and waiting for the waiter, the waters to subside. It requires waiting on the Lord with kavah. And most of the time, it requires action on our part to get up and do what he told us to do. Sometimes it just means going back to the last thing he told you to do and doing it. Because if you didn't do the last thing and you don't feel like he's leading you right now, Go back. He's not, he's not like, no, you failed, it's over. He's like, dude, just go do what I told you to do. I mean, it's the same concept with our kids. Even Jesus in his many miracles and on many occasions required action. He said to the guys, throw your nets overboard for a catch. 
They had to throw the net. He said uh, to, um, in uh, Matthew 17, he, they needed money for uh, pay the taxes. And he told Peter, hey, go to the water, cast your hook, cast your line, whatever fish you catch, bring it in, open it, there'll be a coin, go pay the taxes with that coin. That was an action. He told the lepers to go and show themselves to the priest, and as they went, they were healed, Luke 17. How are you going to respond when the Lord gives you vision and knowledge of your future, but it feels like it's never going to happen? How are you going to overcome the failures of your disobedience? Listen, I know the pain of failure is very hard. It's, it's weighty. But don't dwell in that pain. Don't stay in it. Don't let that pain force you to keep doing the thing that's causing the pain. You just have to keep saying yes. Obedience to what he told us to do is the key that unlocks our kingdom future. God's mercy and grace is limitless to the repentant heart. If you blow it, then tell him you're sorry and jump right back into his daddy arms and ask for help. Get help from people. Like Pastor David said last week, we are a body. We are a family and we are here to help each other to help to carry the burdens of our fellow believers. You might have kingdom mentors, um, elders, people, friends from old churches that mentor you. Who knows what it is? It's okay to go to them too. It doesn't just have to be Rock City people. If you have people that can help you, that are, can, can pray with you, can stand with you, please approach them. Ask them for help. He will help you. And he will guide you. I know from experience. Still knowing and still doing. Still trying. Just be obedient to what he says. Now, I'm going to close up with prayer. I, I do want you to know that this was an obedience message incognito. <clears throat> I have a three-year-old that can't stand the word obey. She will tell me, Dad, I don't like that word. And she'll say, don't say obey. But you're not three. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, today, Lord, we give you our yes. Search your hearts, beloved. Search your hearts. Find the yes. Find the area that you're saying yes to him. And start somewhere. Start today, start tomorrow. 
find the courage to take a step, to take a stand and start. Repent. Jump into his daddy arms. He loves you. He will never leave, leave you. He'll never give up on you. He's not disinterested or dissatisfied. He's not moved on to the next thing. He's right here, ready for you. So Jesus, I just ask that you come touch every heart, every life, every life, everyone on the live stream, Lord, come into their room wherever they are. Give them courage. Give them inspiration. Teach them obedience, Lord, and what comes on the other side of it. We praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you that you are so good. I just, I just pray over you today as you leave that you would have a great rest of your day. You'd have safe travels and a wonderful week ahead of you. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the people of Rock City. Touch their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.